Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This very special bonus episode of I Doubt It with Dollamore is brought to you by our loyal patrons and PayPal supporters and also those who shop on Amazon with our affiliate link. If you'd like to join their ranks and help produce the show, go to dollamore.com on the left-hand side of the page. Click support the show. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dalamore. All right, welcome to this very run-of-the-mill bonus episode. You like that, Brittany? Yeah. Usually it's special. Uh-huh. This one's, yeah, it's just, it's average. It's <laughs> typical. I am your host, Jesse Dollamore, sitting across from me, of course, the lovely, the talented, the Christmas-spirited, mm-hmm. Brittany Page. Hello. Joining us today is is someone I've, I've, I've followed on Facebook for a long time. Me too. I guess everybody already knows, because it's probably in the, the goddamn title. Yeah. Allie Rizvi, everybody. Allie, thanks for joining us. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. Merry Christmas and uh, happy holidays, or you know whatever you guys do. Yeah, Brittany's been uh, Brittany's been doing the merry holidays this year. Yeah, changing it up. <laughs> yeah, we yeah, don't. Why not? We we had a conversation with someone we had lunch with today, and they were still bothered that we don't do the Christmas tree thing. Yeah, and it's just it's not a. And I pointed out there's a scripture in Jeremiah. We're both atheists, and there's a scripture in Jeremiah that says, "Hey, listen, guys." This is the Jesse paraphrase. Hey, listen, guys, don't bring Christmas. Don't bring trees into your house and adorn them with gold and silver. That's bad. And Christians the world over, apparently, they don't really give a shit. So, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's it's funny. Like, we do have um, we actually do Christmas. We have trees and, you know, everything. It's it's really weird. We we even did it. uh, I mean, even though I come from a Muslim family. It's just one of those things that we kind of appropriated. Yeah. Or maybe we're just victims of, you know, colonialism <laughs> or so. I don't know what it is. But, yeah, we we like the whole tree and the gift giving thing. I mean, 
I, one one thing is that anytime there is a celebration, I'm there. So whether oh, it's yeah. Christmas Eid or Easter bunnies or whatever that has to do with the resurrection, I don't know. But um, you know, and bunnies don't lay eggs. They've got bunnies and eggs. Uh, so <laughs> maybe maybe not in Canada, sir. But here in America, our bunnies <laughs> lay fucking eggs. <laughs> you know what? I'm not gonna. I I'm not even gonna doubt that because all our all my predictions this year have gone wrong about whatever's happening down there. So you and me both. Uh, it is it is disconcerting. Canada has never looked better. It has never looked better. It, I know, I know. It's uh, it's uh, I'm very, I'm kind of happy to be Canadian right now. I think even a lot of people who are not Canadian are very sort of happy to be Canadian. Sort of. <laughs> <laughs> well, I plan to travel abroad very qu- soon, and uh, uh-huh. I'm gonna get myself. I will appro- appropriate myself a Canadian flag pen to wear on my lapel everywhere I go so I don't get have to have the conversation. I can just talk about Trudeau and not have to, oh, yeah, that's my guy. We're no, very, not Trump. <laughs> yeah, we're very welcoming. Uh, we're very polite people. You know, we're good. Uh, we're thinking of building a wall on our southern border. Yeah. That, that's a, <laughs> Please yeah, don't. It's going to be big and beautiful, but, you know, there's going to be a nice, big, beautiful door in right. it. Right. Well, so. That is awesome. <laughs> Well, l- listen, we, we, we have you on because you are a an atheist of note. You also happen to be a former Muslim. And your mm-hmm. book your book is entitled, Brittany has it here since I'm the unprepared one. The Atheist Muslim, A Journey from Religion to Reason. That's right. Yeah. And, and you're you're a guy who, like I said, we are we are Facebook friends. We've never actually met in person. One of the mm-hmm. one of the uh, benefits or maybe the 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 downfalls of social media. It's like Tinder, yeah, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. or Grinder in our case, sir. Oh, uh, I guess so. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> not, up to, not up to date on that stuff, but sure. Yeah. So, yeah. so I followed you for a long time. I think you're you're a brilliant mind. You write very very well, very succinctly. You're you're passionate, and I am. We haven't gotten the book yet, but this is certainly on our Christmas list. We are getting it. And I'm, we're in a, a special time right now. I mean, obviously, we just talked a little bit about it. The United States having its own problems mm-hmm. relative to our new orange face Fuhrer. Um, but the Muslim world is going through a, a very weird. We have the problem of of radical Islam and the the militant nature of that and the the terror that gets spread worldwide. But then we also have, with these Trump type of people, harassment and anti-Muslim, I don't really like the word Islamophobia, but anti-Muslim... Prejudice, bigotry. Absolutely, yeah, a backlash Mm -hmm. against them. So people in my position are being, I don't want to, like, forced, because I'm a civil rights guy, but Mm -hmm. I'm having to defend wearing of, of, of the hijab when I think it is an oppressive thing. And right. it's just, we're in a special period of time right now. And I think voices like yours are goddamn very important right now. And we're, we're, we're very happy to have you. Could you start by telling Thank us you. a little bit about, about, about your backstory? Uh, my backstory is that uh, I was, um, I grew up in, I, I pretty much, I came to North America for the first time when I was 24. Uh, prior to that, I was, Born in Pakistan, when I was just a few months old, we moved to Tripoli in Libya. Uh, two of my siblings were born in Libya. Uh, and then 
I lived in Saudi Arabia for about 11 years or 10 to 11 years. Um, and I grew up there in, in Riyadh. And then after that, I went to university in Pakistan. And uh, then I came to Canada when I was 24, uh, lived in the U.S. then for about five years uh, in Buffalo, New York. So right by the border mm -hmm. and uh, then came back to Canada. I've been here ever since. So I essentially grew up in three Muslim majority countries that were very different. One was North African Arab, it was Libya. Then there was Saudi Arabia, which is a center of the Muslim world. It's like the birthplace of Islam and Muhammad and the Quran. And uh, then uh, Pakistan, which is a South Asian country with a completely different culture, don't speak Arabic, uh, but uh, Muslim majority nonetheless. So, you know, I got, I got a, a pretty good sense. Uh, and then during the time while we were there, also traveled to a lot of other Middle Eastern countries and so on. So um, I, I, was, I was kind of surrounded by it growing up in a lot of different manifestations, saw a lot of different cultures melding with the religion, um, a, a lot of variation, uh, you know, different amalgamations of it all. And then uh, came over here. And that's basically my geographical resume. Um, and in addition to that, I mean, I was, uh, I was part of a relatively liberal Shia Muslim family. So there's two sects, two main sects, actually right. many sects, but in, uh, in Islam, Shia and Sunni, Sunni is a majority. I was part of the Shia uh, minority and uh, grew up that way. And uh, I've always kind of been a skeptic. And um, ever since my late teens, um, early 20s, I've been atheistic. So that's basically the background. How was the I, I came out, um, I lost my faith, I, whatever phrase in my in my mid mid 20s and it yeah. it has caused chasm and, and difficulty in my family between my immediate family and parents like i mean i'm estranged from them because of it um mm -hmm. how was that process for you because i always look being the dumb white guy who doesn't have a ton of muslim friends i have this <laughs> i have this meme in my head about what it would be like to come out as an atheist as a muslim and mm -hmm. for me it, it was difficult enough but you know, there, there's no threat of, of death because of apostasy in modern Christianity. So it wasn't right. What was it like for you? Um, it was uh, within my family. It was OK. Both of my parents were university professors. So uh, initially they were irritated by it. There was a little bit of uh, back and forth, a lot of argument. But generally they're accepting. They taught me to ask a lot of questions when I was growing up. They wanted me to learn about critical thinking because, again, they were both academics and it kind of backfired on them a little bit. I feel bad about that, but that's the, but but that's the only thing I feel bad about. So I have I have a good relationship with my family, but um, I gotta stress that's a very unique experience. I mean, I've documented it in the book, uh, but I've also talked, uh, I've corresponded with thousands and thousands of uh, free thinkers, agnostics, atheists uh, across the Muslim world in Muslim majority countries, and uh, for many of them. One of my really good friends uh, is Raif Badawi. He's a Saudi blogger. Yeah, we've covered it. We've covered him pretty extensively on the show. Right, and and he's uh, so he's actually in in jail in Saudi Arabia still for doing exactly what I do. I mean, I I am a uh, I'm a writer uh, who grew up in the Muslim world, and I'm pro secularism, and that's essentially what he is. And uh, he's in jail, and he got flogged for it. Um, and I'm sitting here, and I'm publishing a book. So. That's something that 
bothers me. Um, I also had, uh, I was also, I also knew Avijit Roy, who was from mm. Atlanta. He's a Bangladeshi American. I uh, went there. He was hacked to death in Dhaka in Bangladesh uh, a couple of years ago. Um, and there were several Bangladeshi bloggers um, who have been killed in a similar way, simply again for doing exactly what I do. So uh, it, it's not the same story by any means um, all over the place. It's it's very different for different people. Um, and to some extent, there's, I mean, the, the cause, one thing I write about in the book is the cost of letting go is really high. And, and one of the many reasons this book is called The Atheist Muslim, which sounds like a contradiction, drives people crazy, which I love. <laughs> I mean, that's one thing I've been doing in my head. I love driving people crazy. But uh, one reason it's called that is because, for example, to Donald Trump, um, a, a, you know, they're, they're, all of these millions of atheists across the Muslim world are just Muslim. Like they can't lose that title. They can't lose that title in their home countries because they'll get disowned by their families, marginalized from their communities, ostracized from society, executed or jailed by their government. Um, and they can't lose the title in the eyes of uh, a lot of really far right uh, Republicans in the U.S. because they will just all look at them as Muslims. Right. So they just cannot lose that title. And that's why the book is called The Atheist Muslims. It's, it's about the closeted aspect of it. And, and like you said, I mean, this is the kind of thing that happens across religions. People do lose their families. They lose um, a lot of what they grew up with when they give up religion, um, which is really unfortunate. It's one of the uh, you know most sinister ways in which religion is so divisive. Um, but the cost of actually in, in, in the book, I say, uh, when it comes to Islam, you know, in, in a lot of it's actually quite common that changing your mind, simply changing your mind can literally mean losing your head. Yeah. So it's uh, yeah, it, it is very different. And um, I am cautiously optimistic about it. I think things are very different from when they were in the Salman Rushdie days, he had to go into hiding and uh, he couldn't, uh, he really had to switch places. Uh, he couldn't stay in the same place uh, for too long. He had to keep on moving and um, he was separated from all of his loved ones uh, during the whole time. So, I mean, th th that was a very different time. Now there's so many of us and everybody's speaking out and we have the internet too, which is a huge deal. Are, are you on, are you on any, um, like, I know Arif Rahman, we've had him on the show. Um, he's on a list. I, I just talked to him last weekend. Actually, oh. he's, uh, he's a great guy. Yeah, yeah, he's a great guy. Um, I know he's on a list, a you know hit list, or you know these groups out there, whether it be ISIS or the different affiliates of Al Qaeda, they have their their non desirable lists. Are you on any of those? Uh, not that I know of, um, and I'm fine with that at this point. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, I. You know, my my thing is that I, as I said, um, you know, I've got, I've got friends, I've got colleagues, I know people who are going, who are doing exactly what I'm doing, and they're getting hacked to death in the streets of Bangladesh, or they're being flogged in Saudi prisons. Um, and I'm in Canada. My whole family's over here. Um, Canada's a very different country. I feel, and I grew up where those people grew up, and so it's just a very personal thing for me, and. For me, it's very important to have the privilege of being able to do this and being able to write and be able being able to bring out these ideas. And 
I look at it as a responsibility, especially having grown up there. So, so far, uh, it's been okay. I'm thankful that I am where I am uh, in uh, Toronto and in Canada and, uh, and the U.S. too, actually, and just in this part of the world. And I'm, um, I, I feel that, uh, I, I mean, I'm not on any hit list or anything, but I know that I have a lot of people on my side over here. And I know that I can actually speak for a lot of people out there who are not allowed to speak. So, can't speak. so what inspired you to write this book? I mean, I, I grew up in a place where um, free speech was a luxury. You know, it wasn't something that you take for granted. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, it was a crime in, in many cases, too. It's something that was uh, a big risk. And when you, when you actually live in that situation for a very long time, you can't say things. Uh, you can't express yourself. You can't debate ideas. There's always conversational barriers. Uh, that are frequently deadly. Um, you, uh, I promise myself that when I'm in a place where I can speak freely, I will. And that's exactly what drove me uh, to write this book. And I, I did have personal experiences as in, you know, my, or when I was growing up in Saudi Arabia, my, uh, you know, even though my own family, within my own family, all these discussions were okay. You know, when we, when we went outside, I had seen my mother and my sister get mistreated very badly. My mother's actually, she has a doctorate. Um, she's a very highly educated woman, a professor. My sister is a physician. Um, and they had to be driven around. Yeah. They, could, they weren't allowed to drive. They had to cover themselves from head to toe. They had to cover their hair. Um, my mother was once yelled at by, by a thug, one of their religious police, uh, in a supermarket because her uh, hijab slipped a little bit too far off her head. Um, so there's, you know, you, you see these things and, um, all of this stuff collects over the years and it almost compels you to do something about it. So who, what is the intended audience? I mean, is this, is this largely for a Western audience or do you, do you have hopes or is this book going to be in circulation in countries where it can really hit the ground and make a difference? We're trying to get it into circulation. Uh, we're actually, I'm already talking to translators. We're very interested in translating it uh, and getting it out there. The advantage of ebooks and audiobooks mm, um, yeah. nowadays, it's, it's, it's a huge advantage. I mean, as you know, like Richard Dawkins is the God delusion. Um, someone actually did an unofficial translation of it, and that PDF has been downloaded 10 million times in just Saudi Arabia. Wow. Uh, so, so and I've seen this. I mean, people have these sort of pirated books on their computers and on their mobile devices in the Muslim world, even if they can't pick up uh, a hardcover at their local bookstore. Uh, I my main audience uh, were was the people, especially young people, that I hear from uh, in places like Saudi Arabia, Egypt, Bangladesh, Malaysia, Pakistan. You name it. I mean, just uh, they're they're all over the place. Uh, so th that's who I had in mind uh, the most. But another uh, part of the audience is that uh, there's something I had to say to Western liberals as well, and that's uh, regarding their blind spot on uh, Islamism and how they kind of almost excuse uh, a lot of the really illiberal ideas in Islam um, in the interest of protecting Muslims as a minority, as a minority group, which is part of the liberal conscience. Sure. And sure. on the other hand, to conservatives, uh, just the you know they have the the opposite approach where they think that there's problematic issues, there there there's problems with Islam in general. So that means that all Muslims must be demonized and banned and screened and uh, profiled and surveyed. 
or surveilled. Um, so there, so both of these sides, I think they have it wrong. And uh, my diagnosis in this book is that I think that both uh, essentially conflate Islam as an idea and Muslims as people. And uh, even the title sort of plays into this idea that Islamic ideology is very distinct from Muslim identity. Um, they don't always go together. And there are many people who are able to actually pry the two apart. And uh, on the left, when you have this idea that um, if you criticize Islam, anything about Islam, then you are a bigot against all Muslims. They're conflating Islam and Muslims. Yeah, on yeah. The right, on, the, on, the, on the right, when they say that uh, Islam has problems, so all Muslims must be demonized, they're also conflating uh, the idea and the people. And uh, th that's the difference. Hum I, I say that human beings have rights and they're entitled to respect. Mm -hmm. Ideas, books, and beliefs don't and aren't. And you gave that uh, example about the hijab. And my wife, Alishba, I think, uh, who a lot of you know too, um, she actually brought up a great analogy when it comes to the hijab, and that's with the Confederate flag. Like, you know, you should have the right to have one. To If you want to sport one, go ahead. But you can't erase the history of what it represents. Yeah, yeah. So, so you can respect the right of people to believe what they want to believe and to practice their beliefs as they as they wish, as long as it doesn't harm other people. But um, uh, that does not mean that you have to respect the beliefs themselves. Well, let me ask you this. Mm -hmm. What advice would you have for your typical liberal white guy, white person, White male atheist. <laughs> yeah, white male atheist. Which you know, it's the when you think of an, an atheist, you think of a white, a white dude. Sometimes angry, sometimes not. Um, what? Yeah. How is it possible for for that guy, that white male, to make a difference in this debate? Or is there even a role? I mean, I know you know Sam Harris. I got a lot of respect for Sam, but I think he's kind of going off the rails of late, and he's not bettering the situation he's only causing controversy surrounding his views rather than adding substance where there needs to be well so what, what makes you say that about sam it, it's like it's like yeah. a reporter you don't want to be the fucking story when you're a journalist <laughs> and i think sam's becoming the story rather than reporting on the story yeah. he's not so I, his his, yeah. his, his, his his typical vehicle of being an, a purveyor of ideas is being mm -hmm. diminished by the fact that he's he's it's just him being the fucking headline. Yeah, I I think that that's a trap that uh, uh, a lot of uh, people do fall into. I mean, Sam, like I I think I, Sam's a friend of mine, and he's you know he's a great guy. He's been very supportive and so on. But I I I kind of get what you're saying in the sense that um, this is really something that happens with the backlash uh, when you go out and you start talking about these things. Uh, like Sam does or like I do, um, the people who oppose you, they will immediately come out and when they don't have a counter argument or a coherent counter argument at least, they will immediately label you racist or bigot yeah. or Islamophobe. And when that happens, um, I think, uh, you know, I'm trying to empathize with a white guy here, but, uh, you know, when you, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, when you, um, when you're faced with that, especially as a white person who's not one of those things and who's actually driven by uh, the problems that, uh, that, I mean, you know, one of the reasons we criticize Islam is because of what so many Muslims are going through in the Muslim world. So yeah. you're actually driven by that. Then then you tend to, uh, you, you got to fight back to some extent. And sometimes you can get so caught up in it 
that it just becomes an, an unfortunate Jerry Springer type show. Well, listen, uh, yeah. I, I don't want to I don't want to leave this without be, having said that I don't disagree with anything yes. that I hear Sam Harris say. Right. It's right. not that I have any disrespect for the guy. I think he's he's a, a, a fucking genius who brings a lot to the table. He's a heavyweight yeah. intellectual. The problem uh-huh. is, like I said, I think that he's falling into I'll use the phrase you use the trap and he's mm-hmm. becoming the story rather than being a vehicle for the facilitation of new and, you know, ideas on how to how to change it. So so is there a way yeah. to avoid that, though, yeah. where you're being called these horrible things and you don't want that to be, um, you know, consistent with what your name is? You don't want that to be tied to your name on the Internet, right? Sam Harris, racist. You don't want that to happen. So you want to fight against yeah. it. But how do you kind of just continue to focus on the issue at hand? I, I think that you just kind of fight on. You keep on talking about the ideas. Yeah. Uh, you keep on focusing on them, just like what Jesse's saying. I think because, uh, you, you know, this uh, whole thing that we've been talking about, the regressive left, for instance, and now also the regressive right or the alt right or whatever you want to call it. They they're they're all kind of involved in this. Uh, uh, the name calling and the, the you know, everybody's obsessed with, you know, you're bigoted. You're calling us deplorable. You're calling us Islamophobe. You're depending on whatever side you're on. And um that just kind of brings everything down into the gutter. And if you and you got to remember, and I think this is really important, that the reason that that backlash happens is because it's something you said um, that stung. And usually it stings because there's some truth to it. Uh, and when you don't have a response to those ideas, that's when you hear the name calling. And what I do is I, I just tend to ignore it. Uh, granted, it's easier for me to do as a brown guy. Um, but I, <laughs> but I, I tend to try and ignore it and I look at it as more of a symptom than anything else. I look at it as a symptom of, okay, this person is just responding by saying I am, uh, you know, Zionist paid, you know, Mossad agent or CIA agent, whatever. Right. You know, they'll, yeah, so that, that's, I believe, believe it or not, I get that all the time. So the, you know, when you, when you get that, for me, that is actually a symptom of uh, just the idea that my word did get out. It right. did get out. Right. It got to, they heard it. Now they, they have, they become aware of it. They know that it's gaining traction. They know that a lot of people, it's resonating with a lot of people and they don't know what to say back. They don't have an argument in response. So um, the best they can do is just turn around and just say, oh, you're an Islamophobe. Yeah. I, so um, I, I do try to, there's many times I have had conversations and I've been called these things and I'm just like, okay, sure, fine. Just what's your counter argument? This is a point I made. What is your response to it? Well, listen, I, I, <laughs> it's mm-hmm. nice that we're in the same company because uh, if you, you being a Zionist that you are, I get called a Zionist, I get called a Zionist on YouTube. I, I, I apparently am a member of the Illuminati, which I didn't really know was a real thing. So we're in. Uh, oh, yeah. I've got honorary memberships into all kinds of. <laughs> I, even, I, I I wish you know I was like I I started out writing for uh, the Huffington Post and they don't pay their bloggers, and uh, I and I was thinking like everyone's like oh Mossad's paying you the CIA's paying you all these I'm like even the Huff Post isn't paying. Me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see. I would be I would be a billionaire right now if uh, you know I uh, if I was getting all those paychecks, but. 
So Amazon's description of the book says his personal story outlines the challenges of modern Islam and the factors that could help lead it toward a substantive progressive reformation. So what are the challenges of modern Islam as well as those factors that could help it uh, move toward the progressive reformation that you're talking about? So that's that's a very long answer. And that's why I wrote the book. Uh, (laughs) So a lot of it's going to be there. Um, But I uh, one of the main things that I've talked about is uh, in the book is I, I looked at Islam and I looked at precedents. Uh, one of the biggest barriers I think with Islam right now is that uh, the idea of scriptural inerrancy. So, you know, people still think in the Muslim world that um, it, it, most Muslims still feel that the Quran is the literal word of God right. and uh, it's infallible. Uh, this is something that uh, Jews believed about the Torah for the longest time. The Torah was supposed to have been revealed at the tabernacle in Mount Sinai uh, to Moses by God directly, and it was his literal word. But today, uh, when you look at, for example, Reformed Jews, which is the, the which are about the most of the Jews in the U.S., for instance, are Reformed uh, Jews, they don't believe that anymore. Um, so it got demoted to divinely inspired, and then now it's just considered the work of man. Um, and uh, the same thing happened uh, with the New Testament. Over time, so there are some precedents where this can happen, and I am meeting actually more and more people uh, who do think now that the Quran, Muslim people who think that the Quran was divinely inspired, and uh, they are more open to critiquing the Quran. And some of the uh, people in the Reform uh, Muslim movement, like Majid Nawaz and like Rahil Raza, um, they want an open dialogue on this. So I think that that's uh, one of the most important things. And in my um, uh, in my book, I talk about you know, the, the four steps to this, and they're not necessarily in the order in which they're listed, uh, would be, uh, you know, the rejection of scriptural inerrancy, um, reform, secularism, and enlightenment. And most non-Muslim countries right now are already at step three with secularism. Um, they have separation of religion and state. Um, most Muslim-majority countries haven't even gotten to step one, right? And, and the problem is that when you have concepts like infallibility, or concepts like scriptural inerrancy, then any kind of reform or any kind of progressive thinking is automatically heresy. It's apostasy. It's blasphemy. That's what the word heresy means. It means mm-hmm. innovation um, in some sort of dogmatic doctrine, right? Because if you have something that's been set up, so so um, that that's something I think that uh, we can. It, it is happening. I'm seeing it happening. I'm seeing that the Quran is more uh, sort of open to. Uh, scrutiny right now, even in the Muslim world. Um, people are trying to interpret it, reinterpret it in all kinds of different ways. And uh, based on precedent with the other Abrahamic religions, that is actually the just the step that precedes um, challenging the inerrancy or the infallibility aspect. So, so th- th- this is, it's a complicated thing. I've gone through it in much more detail in the book. Yeah, also, yeah more sense there that was a nice uh, little, little tease you, you teased it really well well and and <laughs> how long do you think i'm gonna ask you to do a major prognostication right now so good luck um <laughs> how long do you think before we we realize an effective reformation the, the sort that you're talking about i i don't i don't know I, I i don't think that this stuff happens overnight i mean even uh you know the reformation one thing with reformation this is it's a loaded word because you know you think of uh, the you know the Protestant Reformation and all the bloodshed and you yeah. know the uh, all all of the Jews and how they were killed and you, you think of all of these things that happened for years and years and years before you know you had the Enlightenment and you had 
uh, the eventual, you know, you had secularism uh, come about and Christian, Judeo-Christian values were eventually sort of diluted and painted uh, over by secularism. So it's, um, it is a long process, but, you know, it, you had the printing press back then. Now you have the Internet. Um, it, it is a very different world. Uh, we have a lot of uh, violence, a lot of things like ISIS and Al-Qaeda. People are seeing that in the Muslim world. Most victims of ISIS and Al-Qaeda are Muslims themselves. Um, yeah, for sure. That is, Over, that is overwhelming numbers. In overwhelming yeah. numbers, they are the victims, for sure. Right. So, so all of these things are gonna are gonna are gonna play a role. Um, as far as uh, and some people say, you know, Islam actually had a reformation with Abdul Wahhab, who was this guy who came in. He made it. Uh, he he actually did. Like they call it a reformation, but what he did was he actually took everything back uh, to the way it originally was, the time of the Prophet. He, he just moved it all back, and that's where Salafi Islam came from. Uh, that's what you see in Saudi Arabia, the ultra conservative version of it. Um, so. They're like, well, look at that. That was a reformation. But that's just a really juvenile attempt at clinging to semantics. Uh, everybody knows that's not what we're talking about. When we're talking about reform, which I think is probably a better word uh, than reformation because it doesn't have the historical connotation to it. Sure. Uh, then, uh, you know, when, when you're talking about that, we're, we're actually talking about um, embracing the 21st century, embracing modernity, critical thinking, um, uh, the scientific revolution, uh, the enlightenment. Um, and so on. So, I, I, so it, it is really about a process. Um, it's it's not really, you know, I think a lot of things we talk about in everything from the immigration debate to Islamic reform, this is we're always talking about destinations and goals. And, you know, like in 2050, Islam will be the biggest religion. Most people will be Muslims. Uh, but, you know, we're not really accounting for the fact that every ex-Muslim I know, their parents were Muslims too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that it that it doesn't happen that way. People aren't just born into a certain religion. They stick with it their whole life. Uh, many of them get diluted. Some of them become even more fundamentalist. I mean, there's, there's, there are many different uh, ways this happens. And I think we should be focusing more really on the process rather than the goal. And the process is uh, the education aspect, talking about critical thinking, um, uh, you know, talking more and more about the wonderment um, in science uh, all the discoveries we have made, um, uh, reading about the history of the Enlightenment thinkers, uh, some of their work, which I feel has been lost um, to the average person. A lot of people are not aware of it uh, anymore like they used to be. So I, I think all of those things are important. It's it's definitely not going to be an easy thing. And I, I, again, I can talk about steps that could help lead towards it, but I can't tell you how it's it's going to happen or how to bring about a reformation because it's not that simple. I think all of these gears have to, uh, be, you know, there's different gears that have to turn. Especially as history is making itself, you know, every, every single terrorist attack changes the landscape just a little bit more and right. things are going to have to happen organically. It's, mm -hmm. it's certainly complex. L l let me ask you one more thing and then we'll wrap with you. Mm -hmm. You know, growing up, if you've got a sibling – and you see somebody fucking with your little brother or sister on the playground, you mm. you get angry. But you can yeah. but you can give them a ration of shit. You you can you can fuck with them all you want. Do you feel torn? I mean, you're you're a member of two different groups here, distinctly different groups. Whether it be you know uh, a former member of mm. the the religion of Islam 
and now an atheist, do you are you torn in, in any way? And then also, I guess to, to to pare down on it, do you still feel some some level of protectiveness over over Muslims that you, you know, people who are in the religion and really adhere to those uh, what I would consider pernicious beliefs? So that's an excellent question, and especially now the way things are. Um, I think it's more relevant than ever. Um, and I'm going to actually, instead of me saying anything, and I, I again, I've talked about this in the book, and I, uh, but I'm going to reference a Fareed Zakaria article. So you're familiar with Fareed Zakaria, the yeah, yeah, uh, Time and journalist. CNN, yeah, right, Indian American journalist. So he he wrote uh, pretty much a year ago um, this month. He wrote an article in the Washington Post called "I Am a Muslim," um, and. You know, he he was again. He grew up in India as part of a a, a liberal Muslim family, um, and this was shortly after Donald Trump has announced had announced his you know his Muslim ban. He's going to ban all Muslims from entering the country until we can figure out what the hell is going on or whatever right. his exact statement. <laughs> that anyway. that was it. That was it. Yeah, I know. Yeah, he's put in a lot of effort to figure out what's going on he's, so far. He's, he's very articulate, man. <laughs> very articulate. Yeah, charming. So. So, so what happened was uh, Fareed Zakaria wrote this in response to him. It was called I Am a Muslim. He went on to say uh, that I am not a practicing Muslim. I haven't been to a mosque in decades. My wife is Christian. I haven't raised my children as Muslims. And my personal beliefs uh, range from between deism and agnosticism. So he said all of these things. He's like, but I feel that I must embrace the Muslim identity seeing what's happening in the political climate today. Right? And I'll tell you, there's a lot of people who are feeling that way. There are people who come to the U.S., a lot of Muslims that come to the U.S., um, or who have lived in the U.S., who have been there their whole lives, uh, who have risen above that tribal identity, right? They've become journalists like Fareed Zakaria. They've become comedians like Dave Chappelle, who's also a Muslim. Mm -hmm. um, or, you know, they've become like the founder of Atlantic Records, you know, Ahmed uh, Ertigan, I think that's how you pronounce it. Who brought us the voices of Led Zeppelin and Ray Charles and Rita Franklin, and and he he was also a Muslim. He was so, a Tur he was a Turk, right? He was a Turk, yeah. yeah. And and so uh, so all of these people have come. What what America does, and what pluralistic, inclusive societies like uh, in the, like Canada and the U.S. do, is that they help people rise above their tribal identities. They go beyond Muslim and they become all of these other great things. But when you do what Donald Trump is doing, you tribalize them again you make them sort of revert and you ghettoize them and you make them go back and embrace these uh tribal labels again um which is what Fareed Zakaria did in that in that article and that's a huge problem you know that that's uh, that's how identity politics works it's very divisive it doesn't help anything and it again is a conflation of the ideology you know with the identity you're playing on identity and this guy clearly Fareed Zakaria clearly is not a believer Right, he said so himself in the same article, but he's still embracing the Muslim identity. You know, it's, and that also that is interesting. That mm -hmm. it, you're you're pointing to something that we've talked about on the show all the time. Well, one, it's the the inarticulate idiocy of Donald Trump, the tangerine titan. Um, the the fact that the, the fact that he's you can't divide people into these separate, you know, marginalized groups, oppressed groups, and then tell them. You guys need to assimilate. You you can't do that. That doesn't work. And I am, I mean, we have a lot of trepidation looking forward to the next four years 
Yeah, I, I got to say that's a that's a great way to put it. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but yeah, you know, just the idea that uh, saying you know you you tribalize them and you give them all these labels, and then you say, well, why aren't you integrating? Yeah, you know, it's just uh, it's uh, that that's a great way to put it. That's exactly what he's doing. That's yeah. why I'm here, Ali. <laughs> that's why I'm here. <laughs> you're. you're you look, uh, you've got some orange on your little uh, cartoon here. How dare you, sir? That's How the hair. That's it? not the tan. It's not the spray tan. It's just the hair. Yeah. Are you, sh- look, look at this. Allie Risby shitting on me because I'm a ginger. This isn't, I am, I am, I am offended, yeah. sir. I, but I can't, I, I was a victim of colonialism, so I can't be racist against you. Look, I, I share, can't... I share the color hair of su- such great Muslims as Malcolm X. So, I'm in decent company. <laughs> that's it. I, I, that's it. You know, the, the speaking of Malcolm X, and you know, you were talking about all the steps that would uh, potentially lead to that. I think that his life, talking, his life is yeah, an embodiment of those steps. Yeah. Right. And when I, when I was talking about like different approaches required, I mean, another example I give is of the civil rights movement is where you know, like Rosa Parks acted in silence. She's, you know, you asked her to move the back of the bus. She said no. Uh, then uh, there was uh, uh, Martin Luther King, who was a politician. He was very diplomatic. He was conciliatory. He was a little bit of give and take negotiator. And uh, he had that approach. And then he had Malcolm X, who was completely militant. And all of those uh, things played a role. Yeah. And um, it took a lot of time, but it, it, it worked. I mean, it is working. Let's say it's a process. It's not obviously not all the way there yet. Of all those but, styles, um, of all those styles, I would have to say that uh, Malcolm X is that's that's my style. I'm that's uh, your style. I, yeah, I'm a in your fucking face. I, I I've said that's multiple right. times that had I been gay or black in the fifties or before, I would have uh, been dead because there's no there's no peaceful resolution with me. I'm gonna yeah, it's not gonna <laughs> be a good time. So so yeah. listen, I, I, we uh-huh. we we really appreciate you coming on, man. This has been. Uh, awesome we would recommend everybody we're going to put a link to your book in the show notes on amazon the atheist muslim and uh if anybody has any questions for you we can pass them along of course everybody knows the number 657-464-7609 as always you can leave an email to us from your smartphone with a voice memo to i doubt it at dollamore.com what else can people get in contact with you or follow you? I'm sure you got a you got a fan page or something on on Facebook. What's your what's your uh, uh, social media layout there? I have uh, I I just have I have a personal profile on Facebook. I just go with that, and it's just uh, you just uh, you can just Google Ali Rizvi Facebook, and it'll pop up. Uh, I'm also on Twitter. Um, you can look me up there um, and Instagram. And there is uh, if if you're interested in the book and learning more about the book. Uh, there is a Facebook page uh, called The Atheist Muslim. It's about the book. You can look that up as well. And uh, we're going to have a website up uh, pretty soon for The Atheist Muslim. We have a lot of things planned uh, over the coming year um, in terms of it's not just a book. I mean, we actually want to uh, do a whole bunch of things. Uh, we want to get involved in activism. Uh, we want to start up a scholarship fund uh, for um science skepticism and uh, uh, secularist minded um, young people across the Muslim world uh, there there are many things that are on the horizon over the next two years uh, that I'm really excited about doing but you know we're gonna go full throttle so well, that's awesome listen if there's if there's any small role we can play or anything we can do for you goddamn let us know because we are 
we are in very uh, tense times with yeah. the Just election. Don't, don't tell anybody you're white. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that this voice, people are just going to think I'm something other than just a giant ginger with this voice. You you have it tough. I I have, you know, there are people. I, I'm I'm not kidding. I, I I am not kidding. Like there there are there there is such an amazing amount of uh, you know. Do people say you can't be racist against whites? I'm telling you, some of the people that I grew up with, I you absolutely can be. So there's a lot of, I mean, I, I don't think when you're putting out an idea, what you're saying about, you know, the, the Sam Harris thing and going out and talking about it, just keep talking about it. Just ignore all the, if you're, if you're right on the merit of the idea, that's what matters. Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. Yeah. All right, yeah. brother. Well, listen, uh, we appreciate you and good luck, good luck in everything you do. Good luck. Uh, that's a Freudian slip there. <laughs> I like I'm looking at your, at your, at your Skype photo right now. You're a handsome fella, brother. Thank you. This is, we're. Would you say it was grinder? <laughs> That's right. In there, okay. Yeah. So, no, it's been it's been fantastic talking to you guys. You guys have a great podcast. A lot of fun to listen to. Awesome. Well, take care. You too. Well, let me tell you that Ali Rizvi is a swell, swell fella. I can tell that you feel that way about him. You guys were having a little bit of a love affair there at the end. I, I feel bad because... Why would you feel bad? Well, I really fell asleep on the job. I didn't give him the laughs, the props that he deserves for that grinder joke at the end. Really oh, bringing yeah. it full circle. Just he, bringing it full circle. He for sure brought it full circle. Yeah, smart guy. <laughs> Only smart men bring it full circle like that. Very funny. And I also think he's maybe... Being a little coy, not knowing what grinder is. Everybody fucking knows what grinder is. You don't have to be a gay guy to know what grinder is. Yes. Well Maybe well, there's still that stigma in his community of not wanting to not wanting to oh what what is that? I, I don't know what that is. <laughs> right. Well, could be, could be, but I'm I'm really happy that we had him on. I loved listening to what he had to say. I've been following his his blogs, his status updates. Um, another person I really like on Facebook is Dan Rather. His posts I always look forward to. And Ali Rizvi writes posts that are similar to Dan Rather. Not as often, but just as good. Why did you not say that when he was here? That would have been how, that, how, what a better way to ingratiate yourself to him than compare him to goddamn Dan Rather. Um, the interview may have gone far better oh, had you done that. Because that's what I need to do to make it go well. <laughs> well, it maybe would have put me at ease and not been, you know, well, dumb Jesse guy. That's a little treat for him to hear at the end, okay? <laughs> so his book, again, The Atheist Muslim, A Journey from Religion to Reason. It is on Amazon.com. Go get it. We just bought it. So you should too. And hey, why don't you go through dollamore.com slash Amazon to do that? Yeah, and we are going to put it in the show notes on the Facebook page. So go check it out. It's important. These are these are dangerous, tenuous times in which we live. And every little bit of reason that we can get our hands around, we need to hold tightly and close to the vest. Share it. Again, it's all about moving the conversation forward. We would love your questions. I know I dropped the number earlier, but 657-464-7609. Email us a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. We love you guys. Thank you to our loyal Patreon and PayPal supporters, as well as all of you Amazon shoppers. 
we we're able to do this. We're able to produce and do these episodes because of you guys and your support does not go unnoticed. So if you are not a current supporter to help produce the show, we would love to have you on board. Go to dollamore.com on the left-hand side of the page. Support the show. All right, everybody. Listen, happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy Kwanzaa. Happy Hanukkah. Happy all the, the good stuff. Happy solstice. <laughs> you guys are the best. We appreciate you. And we will see you next time. Until then, for Brittany Page, I am Jesse Dollamore. And this is Ben. I doubt it. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. A new year, time for new growth. Grow your education and skills with Herzing University. Our online behavioral health programs fit your schedule and time. From an eight-month diploma program in health and human services to a 36-month bachelor's in psychology. Grow your behavioral health career with us wherever you are in your education. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Visit us online at herzing.edu or text HEALTH to 85109. Online at herzing.edu or text HEALTH to 85109.